Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay. I'm a recovered uh, compulsive overeater, and I'm going to be the, uh, the moderator this morning. Today is Wednesday, February 24th, 2016, and today we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are currently on page 35 on the last paragraph. So today's readers are, we have on the 12 steps, Christine M. Anne-Marie's gonna handle the 12 traditions and the readers this morning are Renata G, Hoodie R, and Penny C. The reference number for, uh, for yesterday, Tuesday, February 23rd, is 8485. That's 8485. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Let me now ask Christine M. to be kind enough to read the 12 steps. Christine? And Christine, we can't hear you. If you would press star one. Okay, I'm here if you need me to be. Yeah, Janice, if you would jump in. Yes, hello, this is Christine. Hey, Christine, we're ready for you on the 12 steps. Sorry about that, I accidentally hung my phone up. (laughs) It's okay. Okay, good morning, everybody. My name is Christine, gratefully recovered, compulsive overeater in Missouri. Um, The 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers in the practices, principles, and all our affairs. Thank you so much. Thanks, Christine. And I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. Thank you, Larry, for your service. This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. The 12 Traditions. One, Akhanubalthia should come first. Personal recovery depends upon only unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA, as such, ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic, and literature that we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us, to share, Press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're gonna resume our our study of the big book and we're presently on page 35, starting with the last paragraph. And Renata G is gonna get us started, Renata. Thank you, Larry, again, for your service. Uh, good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Composable Read in New York. Uh, we told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for a business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. 
On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he he would lose his family for whom he had deep affection. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had no notion that I might, sorry, I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar, for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. And, uh, you know, what I, I love Jim's story. I remember really relating to it first time I read it. And uh, I think this is a very, very clear example of how we're not cured of this disease. You know, what we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And, um, you know, what I believe from hearing what they said on the first paragraph I read is that, you know, Jim knew about his condition. He knew about his powerlessness. He took step one. He knew about the solution, that he needed a power greater than himself, right? Step two. And then they gave him the, the program of action, how to get to the solution. That's three to 12. That back then, you know, we're not 12. I mean, three to nine. And, um, but, you know, in... Um, after the step nine promises, when we read about step 10, you know, in pages like 84, 85, the book really talks about how now we're going to continue this new way of living, how, uh, you know, we need to grow in uh, understanding and uh, effectiveness. And so, you know, this idea of working the steps, I have to accept that it's a new way of living. I'll never graduate. You know, it's not something I do and, okay, I'm done. Put it away. If I am powerless, I am powerless, period. I'm going to die powerless. And if I don't have access to the power that gives me that daily reprieve, I'm going to go back into the food. And, you know, he says here on the first paragraph on 36 that he felt irritated, resentment. Then he had a few words with the boss. He probably felt even angrier, you know? And I mean, I've done it many times. Like sometimes I want to ignore something. I want to pretend I'm not feeling it. But you know, on page 64, the big book's so clear. It says resentment is the number one offender. It, it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it, it stems all kinds of spiritual disease. So if I'm in spiritual disease, I'm not in fit spiritual condition. If I'm not in fit spiritual condition, I'm blocked off from my higher power. And therefore, I'm going to pick up that first bite. You know, I'm going to 
like Jim here, put myself in situations that, you know, are very dangerous, that make no sense. You know, like Kim said yesterday, I've never, you know, and I've, I've been to different places. Like, I've never seen anyone sell a car in a bar. I've never seen that, you know, in a restaurant. So, you know, that's already the mental obsession, convincing him to take some weird actions that will put him in danger, you know, making up some lame excuses. But when that obsession of the mind comes back, I can't reason with it. You know, it always convinces me. So I need to stay on guard before. You know, I need to take care of my 10, 11, and 12. I need to continue to grow. Uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Renata. Appreciate that. Before I take some names here and uh, get my pen handy, just a couple of things. We, we, we have a uh, uh, three-minute kind of uh, guideline for us and also to keep your phone muted unless you're speaking. I know... Again, for me, finding my authentic voice and sharing that with others was really important to my recovery. So this isn't just for teachers. There's no gurus here. Anyway, getting off my soapbox, who would like to share with, on what was read? Tina S. This is Bella. Can I share? Gotcha, Tina Bella. Who else? Lindsay from Connecticut. Lynn. Hey, Larry. <laughs> hey. Who else? Anybody else? Hi, Larry. This is Raquel from Israel. Raquel. Okay. Yep. Well, we got, all right. We got four. We got four Sally? people to start. Sally. Anybody else? Hi, Larry. It's Rocky. Rocky. Okay. Let's go with that for now. Okay, here's our lineup. Now batting. Okay, we got Tina S. We got Bella, Lynn C., Raquel, Sally, and Rocky. Tina S., you're up. Thanks, Larry. Uh, Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida, and uh, and it's light here, Larry. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, some powerful stuff here in, in the paragraph, and I, and I love just touch briefly on the previous one. It was, you know, they talked about that um, – he made, Jim made a beginning, you know, and, and I made a beginning many, many times uh, before I had my last abstinent date. And, um, you know, and I felt similar to my spiritual um, connection. And, and that's kind of what happens here. And, and one of the things that, that I know today, and it has been shared over and over, that, you know, uh, the insanity precedes the drink or the bite or whatever, you know, the thinking that, okay, this time it's going to be different or, you know, I haven't tried this or, or that or whatever. And, and, you know, I like what has already been shared, you know, unless I continue, you know, I, I came here, I first came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1987 and my abstinent date is 1999. So there's a little bit of a gap there. And I went to treatment and, you know, and I, and they gave me all this stuff and they told me to go to OA and they told me to work the 12 steps and they told me to do a lot of this stuff, you know, and I was 30 years old and I thought, nah, you know, maybe someday, you know, and uh, what happened was I got the diet plan and it worked, the diet plan worked. And then, you know, think, um, interesting enough, diets, you know, you go off diets and then it doesn't work. So my life today, you know, I know that <clears throat> through the practice of the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I got a shot. And it's only contingent on my spiritual growth today, 
you know, today. And I think that's what it talks about. And, you know, um, you know, I never bought a car in a bar or a restaurant either. But, you know, it, that is the insanity. And, you know, and maybe his experience, maybe he did sell a car in there, you know. And, um, and so the insanity is, oh, let me sell another car. But what happens here is, and it was shared again yesterday, is that the allergy is set off first before the obsession of the mind starts, you know. Uh, it, I'm sorry. Uh, he, he takes that, dr- that drink with milk, you know, then he wants more, another sandwich and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I just know today that if I'm not getting up in the morning and asking God to keep me sober, absent, and sane for this day and how I can be of service to others, you don't have a shot. So with that, I'll pass. And thanks, everyone, for being online. Thank you, Tina. So next we have Bella, and then we have Lindsay. Bella, my dear, you're up. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Larry, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a powerful, wonderful paragraph. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I was one owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Yes, I remember it. Before the program, I was afraid to be connected to myself, to be connected to my feelings, to be aware of them. Oh, no, it's nothing serious. I prefer it was easier for me to be connected to the past, to blame and to judge, to blame and to judge others, myself, and to live in the future, to be anxious at the future. And, you know, sure enough, the present was that I went back again and again and again to the food. The food was my best friend, my best solution. This was my present, the food. Thank you, God, I am not there anymore. Today, by leaving the steps, I am connected to a loving power, to acceptance power. Today, I am not connected to my ego, to my power. Today, I, I learned to accept myself. And yes, I am human and I am powerless. And I learned to be connected to my feeling, to live the present, not to run away. And yes, sometimes I have those feelings to be jealous, to be angry, to be disappointed, to be upset. And today, thank you, God, I have a solution. Yes, I don't have to run to the food. I have tools to deal with them. First of all, I am connected to a loving, accepting power. I don't have to please people anymore. I don't have to judge myself by by doing mistakes, by not being perfect. Today, I have a wonderful family that I can always talk to them and tell them, oh, I feel this way, I feel that way. And sometimes it's not so comfortable feelings. And I still know I am accepted and loved. And thank you, God, today by leaving the 12 steps, I don't have to run away from the present. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Okay, now we have uh, Lynn C. You're up, followed by Raquel. Lynn C.? Hi, Larry. It's Linda D. from Connecticut. 
Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, Linda D. Oh, it's no big that. deal there. It's okay. Um, I'm so thankful, thankful, thankful to be a recovered compulsive overeater um, after many years in recovery. Um, the thing that jumps out at me, I was talking to a friend in recovery yesterday and, and really saw the program work like in neon lights. Um, I had been going through a period of being frustrated and angry and justifiable anger, and here it comes. And that's what that fellow is talking about, because there is justifiable anger. Unfortunately, I can't afford that, or fortunately. And um, the thing that um, was happening uh, before I intervened by surrendering to this, to the process of the steps, because I didn't even realize what was happening, because I was so justified, uh-huh, um, was that I was switching addictions. And now we're not here to talk about other things, but the thing about it is, if it's not um, with the food, if it's not, if I don't have my alcoholic foods, I still have an obsessive personality, and it'll just jump to the next annoying, annoying obsession. And I'll think it's just fine to go shopping or whatever it is. Now, I'm not here to talk about that, but I think it's very important for me to remember that this is a formidable disease. It's not just, well, I don't want to say it that way. It's not cupcakes. This is self-destruction writ large. And um, I'm so grateful to be recovered and have such a wonderful program of recovery. Thanks. I pass. Thanks, Linda. Um, okay, Raquel, followed by Sally. Raquel, you're up. Raquel, press star one, and if any, everyone can mute their phones if they're not the speaker. We're hearing some Hello? background noise. Can you hear me? Raquel, really? we can hear you. You're up. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I was unmuted, but I thought I wasn't, so I did the whole dance. Thank you so, so much for your service, Larry. And thank you to all my dear family there. What incredible paragraphs those are. I, I am a little bit of an um, eclectic, ecumenical, how would you say it, in program. So I do go to NA, I go to AA. And, um, and uh, there's, some, there's a saying that uh, I should have known by heart by now. Uh, in NA, as long as I keep away from people, places, and things that can, me, that can trigger me, I have nothing to fear. So here in this paragraph, I have it all. I mean, why is this guy working? How can he not be justifiably upset if he's working for a concern that he lost? My goodness, he surely has a few words with a with the boss. Ah, nothing, you know. I used to be that way. When somebody insulted me, I'd only understand it two weeks later. I would hear like distant drums in the woods. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. I wouldn't give myself an account or touch it, you know. Somebody hurt me. That's one thing. The second thing is to go to this place, you know. This Hello? Is there a problem with the line? Larry? Hello? 
Continue, Rachel. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the question I, I uh, for, for myself, this thing about places, people, and situations that I don't dare go into after seven years and, and, and two months and, and 12 days of, of really, you know, like I, I can't even say recovered because until the angel bops me over the head and I'm really changed, I don't dare use that holy word. But something is happening. But I know that this disease, this what Dr. Jung called the evil principle, can come to me from left field. I can be wanting to do something so good and so innocent as to cook a soup for a, for a mother who just brought home a baby and there are five other kids in the family. But I, I'm going to make sure that, it, for instance, that in that soup there should be some ingredients that is very good for them, but I shouldn't be even touching it. And somehow, whenever I'm going to taste that soup to see if it's good yet, under there will always be a piece of potato or something, something, you know, knedlach, whatever. I'm not going to go near it because the devil is pushing you from behind. I can't even see him. So to beware, he's doing it all here, to walking into the trap, let alone the, the pouring of this, the, the whiskey into his uh, milk. It's, it's, it's cute, you know. Uh, a, a, an addict inside his brain without parental guidance is, is a danger. It's, it's a very dangerous neighborhood. I'm so grateful that you guys are there. God bless you all and uh, have a wonderful abstinent day and I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Raquel. Just, uh, just for a gentle reminder to everyone to keep their phone on mute if they're not the speaker. Okay, so we have Sally and then Rocky. Sally, you're up. Thanks, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Um, good morning, Vision for you. It's Sally, Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. So I love this uh, page, and it's amazing that it hasn't been said yet, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. We have here in this paragraph, on this top paragraph, 19 times that this guy says, I, I came, I remember, I felt, I had, I had a few words, then I decided... I felt, I stopped, I had, I just, I also, I had, I was, I had, I sat, I ordered. And we see in the next paragraph seven more times I. I highlighted all the eyes on this page um, in yellow. And it's pretty interesting to see how I, 17, rather 19 times in the top page and seven times in the second paragraph, how I looks when it's all highlighted. So you see that the sky is in your I'm going to just stop here, wait for the line to get cleared or someone to get muted. Whichever Sorry, comes Sally. First. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if we could mute the line and then, we'll, uh, Sally, you can come back. I will do Thank that. You. Thanks. Thank you. And, Sally, when, if you want to come back by unmuting, that would be great. Thanks, Larry. Okay. okay, so this top paragraph, 19 eyes, the next paragraph, eyes. So we see that this guy is in a certain mindset. He's very immersed in his own thinking. He's very reactive, and he's very impulsive. I, I remember 
that this was a character defect that just was pervasive. It was like I was, it was a huge part of the pickling process, the impulsivity and the reactionary aspect of what was happening in my life, much like this gentleman here. It reminds me of something that Ruth said in her um, in her Thanksgiving 2012 recording. If you remember, she talked about thud, seemingly unimportant decisions that we make, seemingly unimportant. And we see it right in the middle of the page, this suddenly the thought crossed my mind. Well, he's had this thought crossing his mind the entire page. He talks about another sandwich, another glass of milk, another whiskey. Can anybody identify with this another, 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 more, more, more? Because he's hurting. He's spiritually hungry, and he's reactive, and he's impulsive, just like I was. This is such a beautiful picture of what we look like when we were in the disease, and that's what they're giving us here, a beautiful example of what it looks like to be steeped in self, I, 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 impulsive, reactive, seemingly unimportant decisions that led to yet the top of the page, first word, yet he got drunk again. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thanks, Sally. Hey, Rocky, before you go, I'm going to ask for, is there a, a two or perhaps three more people that would like to jump in before we move on to the next, uh, next reader? Who else would like to, to come in? Nessa R. Okay, got you, Nessa. Who else? Gladys. Hey, Gladys, I got you. Is there one more person? Gallery B. Okay, well, let's go with that And before we move on. So here's what we got. We got Rocky, we got Nessa, Gladys, and Valerie. And if you would mute your lines. Hey, yo, Rocky, you're up. Thank you, Larry. Can you hear me? I can. Rocky, go ahead and, and, uh, and unmute. We heard you, but we muted the lines. So go ahead and unmute. Hi, Larry. Yeah, we can hear you, Rocky. Thank you. Okay, great. Hi, this is Rocky E. from New York, compulsive overeater. Um, thank you, Larry, for saying our sense of self show up because that really made me um, stand up and, and share. Um, this this uh, this paragraph, I mean, the paragraph before it says, fail to enlarge the spiritual life, and um, this paragraph is so indicative of the diseases in the mind and not in the drug of choice. It is so clear. It's repeated like like um, it was just mentioned. It's all about the eyes, the self-involvement. And um, it's a disease, clearly, that has nothing to do with an action that follows, whether it's food or what other drug of choice, but very much in the mind. And it's the spiritual um, solution, which is, constantly repeated the only solution and that's where you know it failed to expand on that you know these paragraphs happen in my life um you know when i read i remember um here i remembered i felt irritated my whole life was filled with irritation and how many years i've gone into denial responding to that irritation yes i'm okay pushing it aside not giving it any kind of recognition and um, 
that denial was the disaster of self-destruction. And um, I've learned the word denial means don't even know I'm lying. I spent my life lying to myself um, that I didn't have a disease and that I could run on self-will. And um, and here's clearly laid out what can be done to change that. And um, somebody once said to me, I can either accept or resent. And I love that. Um, and, um, you know, my mind's not going to just change and give up and once I work this, be a whole new frame of mind and I'm good to go. It's always there. The disease is waiting patiently. And these thoughts are going to come up. And my spiritual, you know, pause in prayer. And then when the thoughts are of self-destruction and hurtful, I could say, thank you for sharing. Now shut up. Um, and these are good words, you know, putting them into action sometimes not so easy. So I'm grateful for all of you that show up every morning. Thank you. Hey, Rocky. Thanks for, for jumping in there. Okay, so we have uh, Nessa and then followed by Gladys. Nessa, you're up. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive over here in Toronto, Canada. I'm glad to be able to be live on the line this morning. Um, I love this um, this story because for me it illustrates the fact that um, we make the decision to pick up long before we make the decision to pick up. Pick up. There's nothing um, sudden about it. You know, the food doesn't pin me down and jump into my mouth. I'm invited. Um, you know, it's uh, it's something that happens long before, and you know, it's it's um, it's set in the room that. Um, God will do for you that you cannot do for yourself. But the corollary to that is that God will not do for you what you can and should do for yourself. And, you know, God's not going to keep the food out of my mouth, and God is not going to work the steps for me. It is up to me to heed the warning signs, um, the warning signs in my thought process. So I know from the description um, of the well-known stages of a spring, the doctor's opinion, that, you know, what follows, restlessness, irritability, and discontentment is succumbing to the desire to pick up. You know, that is where, you know, the, the mental obsession gets its foot in the door. And it's up to me to recognize that restlessness, irritability, and discontentment and say, hey, you know, I have some work to do here. I need to work the steps. God was, is not going to work the steps for me. He's not going to make me work the steps. That is my job. Keeping the food down and working the steps is my job. The outcome, the removal of the defects of character, the removal of the oppression, that is God's job. But he cannot and won't do his job until I do mine. And the story of Jim shows it. Uh, my own experience, our own experience, our own collective experience shows it, um, you know, very, very clearly, you know, and that is, you know, the definition of insanity when, you know, we don't learn from our experiences, we don't learn from the horrible consequences we have experienced um, from our actions, and we think that we're going to get different results if we do the same thing over and over and over again, we repeat the same experiment, hoping to obtain different results in the quest to uh, prove ourselves non-alcoholic. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Our job is, you know, 
to keep in fit spiritual condition, and then God uh, will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa. Appreciate that. Okay, so next, another authentic voice we need to hear from Gladys, followed by Valerie. Gladys? Good morning. My name is Gladys F. Um, I must certainly identify with the reading. Uh, today I have two weeks and four days of abstinence, and because I once worked uh, with a young lady, we had a business together, and then somehow the business ended and I ended up doing child care for her. And it used to really irritate me. Like he said, he felt irritated. I, I felt I feel irritated. A lot felt irritated when I had to had to take care of the children. Especially when the children would say something like, You work for my mother you know, and I would go to the ex- explanation like, No, I don't I don't work for your mother. I'm just doing her a favor, you know. And um, when when I had that type of attitude, I would always eat over it, and I ended up quitting. But I came back to work for her, and I still felt that, that irritation, you know. And I asked her, especially recently, like when she got her taxes and she was buying the kids a lot of stuff, and I was like, well, I'm doing all this work for a minimum amount of money. Can't you at least offer me a bonus, you know? But I, I can truly identify um, what he felt being in that position and how if I'm not careful, you know, I will feel my um, abstinence being sabotaged, you know, just by even little things that she do. Uh, but I realize that I'm responsible, you know, for my recovery and my spiritual well-being because that's that's what it is, is uh a defect in my spirit that caused me to feel agitated over what another of uh, 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 the situation that I find myself in. So thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Gladys. Okay, so we have finally Valerie, and then who's going to read after that? Valerie, you're up. Uh, yes, I I could identify with this in a way because I remember. Um, at times when I was into the food, how I would always be getting something for someone else, you know, only they never got it. You know, I remember, you know, going, driving up to see my daughter to bring her home for Christmas when she was in college and, and, oh, I'm going to, you know, get this banana bread and I'm going to bring it to her. And well, it never made it. You know, it never made it there. Or I'm going to buy this for so-and-so and and such and such. Or I'm going to get this and bring it to, you know, and and never made it there. And it's, it's, um, you know, the... It's it's almost like I heard somebody say I heard somebody say earlier that it was like it's like the devil's behind you pushing you, and I thought well it's it's this it's this obsession where you think you know and, and honestly when I got those things when I when I when I got those things I bought those things for people you know food items I really had the intention to give it to them I had no no thought that it was you know that I was gonna you know end up you know, not, not having, you know, not giving it to them at all. And it's, it's so, you know, the disease is cunning and it's baffling and it's powerful. And, um, and I'm just grateful that, that I have a higher power to relieve me of, from that obsession for today. Thank you for letting me share. 
Thanks, Valerie. Okay, so Hoodie's going to pick up on page, uh, where are we here? Page 36, the second paragraph, starting with suddenly the thought crossed my mind. Hoodie? Good morning to you, Larry. You hear me? I can. Okay. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Continue, okay? Yeah. Should I continue? Yeah, the, the, uh, we're okay. going to read both, those two paragraphs. Okay. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was a threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. And again, my name is Hoodie, a uh, recovered compulsive overeater in Israel. And suddenly this thought crossed my mind, and here we are, in more about alcoholism, in this example of Jim, um, to describe that mental, the, mel- the mental um, side, the mental illness that we suffer from as, a, as, a, as an alcoholic, as an addict. And, um, you know, that mental, that mind of mine is so powerful. That's the crux of my problem. And it comes, it comes to me and, you know, that's the delusion. It, it, this thought is that upset, the mental obsession is the delusion that I believe. That I believe that this time it's going to be different. I believe that, um, that I believe that, you know, that this is the correct way to do it. And it cancels out all other ideas in my head. Any idea that's normal, like, no, don't do it, don't do it. And yeah, you know, suddenly I'll be I'll be at a party and I'll be finished my supper and then I'll see a big big um cake and I'll say, "Hmm, well I'm full. I'm not, my stomach is full. I could just have a slice." And I would take that slice and I would take a little bit, a little bite, and then, "Hmm, okay, that was okay. I managed I managed well on that one. Let me take another one." And then that started one more journey for the asylum for me, Hoodie. And um, much knowledge that I could be an alcoholic, that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And then once I listen to that mental, that mind of mine, and I pick up that first bite, then the allergy is triggered and I am off. And um, and that's that. That my definition of insanity. How many times this does this happen? That I fall to the belief that this time it would be different, and that's why in on page thirty we read we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. And I had to be utterly convinced that I was in this class. I, I was an act, uh, um, a compulsive overeater. I had this mental twist in my mind and that I 
and, and nothing. I was totally powerless um, over my mind from picking up, and I needed help, and I had to say, I surrender. Please, anyone out there, help me. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Hoodie. Appreciate that. Okay, I'm looking Hi, for four Naomi brave B. souls. I heard you, well, Naomi. Okay, Reva Perry. Mary B. Leah M. Leslie. Okay, I'll tell you who I heard. Okay, I heard um, Naomi, Melissa, Leslie, and Leah. Why don't we start with that, and then we'll see where we're at. Okay, Naomi, you're up. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for your service. Hi. Good morning, family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Well, suddenly the thought crossed my mind. This is, like, unbelievable because, you know, what I hear on this line, I didn't know what I did not know. I would never deprive myself of a healthy dinner. No, excuse me, a large, you know, compulsive dinner. And then I would be watching TV, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I know what's left in the refrigerator. It was crazy. And my husband would be in another room watching TV, and I would say to him, oh, I'm just going down for some ice water. Oh, wrong. I would make make another huge mountain of food again. I'm thinking, what is going on? What is... I didn't know. I just didn't know until I came into these rooms. I came, I discovered this amazing book that I have. I'm not a normal eater. I will never. I This pickle will never be a cucumber. And it's this book. It's working these amazing steps, living in 10, 11, and 12, living in 10 when there is a resentment, because that's like the resentment and fear is like intertwined that they're going to kill me. And I, my brain is twisted. But because of God and because of his love for me, I have this clarity. I don't have to give in to those thoughts. I can pray them away. I can make a phone call. There are spiritual tools that I work every single day, hourly if necessary, to keep me out of this mental twist. Thank you so much for allowing me to share, and God bless you all. I'm I'm so grateful for this meeting. Thank you. Thanks so much, Naomi. Melissa C., you're up. Hi. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overheater in New York. And, um, you know, I think, like, um, how many times an idea kind of crossed my mind and, um, seemingly harmless, you know, to other people, um, but to me, deadly, you know, and when when I hear about him putting the scotch in his milk, um, you know, I, right away, I'm brought to a time when I got the idea um, that it was okay for me to have a glass of wine. Now, I don't have an alcohol problem, but wine is a glass of sugar, and I have a sugar problem, but to me, it seemed like a great idea. Um, and, hey, that works just fine, and so I had another, and then it led me right to the food. You know, and another brilliant idea I had was um, to put coffee mate sweetened creamer in my coffee because, um, hey, it's just coffee. And, um, you know, for me, those ideas are deadly. You know, they, they're the luxury of other people. But, um, you know, and, and this disease looks to get in in seemingly harmless ways. And, um, you know, I've also learned that um, 
I need to have really strict parameters around my food. I have to um, commit my food to a sponsor, even though I'm in a recovered state. And I have to be specific about the food I eat because my disease also tells me, you don't really want the banana, you really want the apple. And as soon as I'm playing around with what I want, I'm not living in surrender anymore. And so for me, you know, people say, is it all about the food? It's not all about the food, but it starts with the food. And if I'm making decisions about my food in the middle of the day, chances are I'm in trouble. You know, I'm feeling something else that I'm not being honest with. And my experience has taught me that I always feel hunger before I feel an emotion. That's somehow how I've been wired. And this program is rewiring me. If I live in complete surrender to the food plan that I commit daily, then I have a chance of recognizing my emotions when they come up. And then I can, you know, put them across through a 10-step process. I can share them with a the recovered person. But if I'm making decisions about my food, it's to me, it's like putting scotch in my whiskey. And when that works out well, then I have another, and then I have another, and I know it never works out well. Thank you for that on that. Thanks. Thanks so much, Melissa. Leslie, you're up. Thank you so Les much. This is, can you hear me? I can, Leslie. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Leslie. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Uh, I live in Tennessee, and I am glad to be on this call this morning. This is a passage that I have read many, many times. And when I first came into program, which was about um, six years ago, I could not understand how alcoholics had anything to do with me. Um, I didn't understand that I had a disease. People would say that to me in the rooms, and I wouldn't believe them. Um, I simply thought that I just had a willpower issue. I thought that I had a moral issue with the food um, because I just couldn't put it down. So it took me a while to understand the inner workings of an addict and that the insanity of the of the mind is the same even though the drugs are different so i i'm glad that i've been given that gift of understanding and acceptance because it also taught me that i can't reason my way out of being a compulsive overeater i can't say to myself even though i know what i should and shouldn't do when it comes to food and eating, I can't reason myself into a way of healthy living. So for me, this is this is the only thing that works for me and the only thing that has worked for me. Before this program, um, I would say I was absolutely miserable. And even even a year or two into the program, I think things got worse before they got better because I had put my drug down. And I didn't know how to live life without that excess food um, and the thoughts of food and the yo-yo back and forth, constantly the gymnastics going on in my mind. It was just absolutely exhausting. But now when I see the insanity of it all, I look, I look 
And I can remember, and I can still, even now, sometimes I'm walking to the grocery store and I pass by the diabetic section and I look and see, oh, sugar-free, sugar-free whatever. I can have a sugar-free dessert. Um, that's okay because it's sugar-free. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's not. Okay. So um, that's really what I've had to learn for myself, you know, what is safe for me to have and what is not safe for me to have. And that is a decision that I make with my sponsor. Um, and that took a while to be honest with myself. But now that I can be honest with myself, I know. And now there, there, when that justification starts happening, when that debate in my head starts happening, oh, should I have this? Should I not have this? To me, that's a, a definite red flag. You know, that's like, oh, Leslie, that's your disease talking. So then I just tell it to shut up and I just move on. So um, um, with that, um, I, I, I pass and I'm, I'm so grateful to be here this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. Appreciate that. Okay, now we've got, a, I think, a 30-year, approximately 30-year newcomer. Leah M. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. <laughs> Uh, poor Jim, you know, and I love this example. I mean, uh, Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, is all about uh, giving examples about that mental state of ours, our thinking that precedes succumbing to that first drink. I mean, it's so clear the insanity here. I mean, uh, you know, prior to suddenly the thought crossed my mind, I mean, Jim is, is sober prior to that. Sober absolutely sober, no alcohol in his body, and yet, and yet, you know, all action is born in thought. His best thinking at this point is uh, to, you know, to pour a little whiskey uh, in his milk. And that lack of ability to think straight uh, really illustrates, you know, the defective mind. And I did not understand that until someone gave me an education by bringing to life this book, that the greater crux of my problem was this obsession of the mind, that I had a defective mind, that this mental obsession was going to take possession of me without my consciousness and without my permission. And it didn't matter how much knowledge I had about the disease, how many books I read about the disease, uh, that mental obsession was going was to conquer me. It didn't matter the consequences. It did not matter how much I knew about the disease. Knowing about the disease, self-knowledge about the disease wasn't enough. It just made me a smart, compulsive overeater. Look at all the consequences that Jim faced. The threat of commitment, the loss of family position, to say nothing of the intense mental suffering and physical suffering. He's not connecting the dots. He's not learning from the consequences. His mind is defective. And I did not understand that. I did not realize that that was the greater aspect of the disease. Hence, I didn't realize the necessity and the urgency for the 12-step process. Because my life was going to be determined by how I think. And if my thinking is distorted and twisted, chances are my actions are going to be distorted and my life is going to be twisted as a result. And, of course, that's true for Jim, too. But what if we can be transformed through the process of the steps? That's exactly what the whole 12-step uh, uh, program is all about. 
an opportunity to have a transformation of mind. To get over drinking for Jim will require a transformation of thought and attitude, and that's exactly what the 12 steps are designed to do. And through the process of the 12 steps, we begin to see how many things are percolating in our mind. Right? As we read in the, on the top of 36, how many things were percolating in Jim's mind? That's the importance and the necessity of the 12 step process. And through, as a result of the 12 step process, this disturbing preoccupation is driven out and we're restored to sanity. Thank you. I pass. Thanks, Leah. Okay, I got to close up shop here. Thanks for everyone who, who joined us this morning, especially the readers, uh, Christine M. and Anne Marie, Renata, Hoodie, and uh, Penny C. And actually, Penny, um, would you be kind enough to close? We're going to close from the, uh, with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Penny, would you read 164? Yes, good morning. Thank you, Larry. This is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Reader from Boston. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.